Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 12. This is the word of God. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plan it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now, therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return every one from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. But they say, that is in vain. We will follow our own plans, and will every one act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right, thanks, Kimberly, and thanks, Colton. Uh, I feel like I should address the elephant in the room. Did we just mess up the Lord's Prayer? <laughs> You know, that, that, that part at the end where you say, thine is, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So that's not actually technically in Matthew 6. Feel free to say it, but I could just, <laughs> I could just tell everybody was like, I don't think we finished it. I think we should have, there's one more slide to come. It was just a direct quote from Matthew 6, so that's why that happened. There we go. So for the four of y'all that were bothered by that, now you know why we, we, we closed it early. All right, transitioning into what I have to say today. Um, so um, Webster's Dictionary. Uh, defines fatalism this way. I don't know if y'all have ever heard of fatalism or if that's a category you're familiar with. But fatalism is people who might believe that events are fixed in advance to the point that human beings are powerless to change them. Some people uh, have have this this view. Uh, It'd be understandable why some people, some Christians might lean towards fatalism. The, The Bible does teach that God is in total control of what happens. Uh, and in the, uh, uh, the Paul's letter to the in, in Ephesians and in Romans, uh, we see the word predestination, uh, predestined pop up uh, in those books. And so, does the Bible teach fatalism that that things are just fixed and that human beings are powerless to change them? And and I don't think it does. And, and here's why: because just as the Bible teaches that God is in total control, the Bible teaches over and over that man was given a will. Uh, and, and he's able to make real choices that matter, that have an effect on, on the outcome. So we're, we're not powerless to, to change the, the outcomes. Uh, sometimes people with a high view of God's sovereignty, that God's in total control, can come with an almost fatalistic understanding of our uh, inability or of our inability to make real choices that have real conse- consequences. Uh, and often we make errors in what we believe as Christians, and we, and we, we, we fail to understand kind of, kind of two things. Like some people lean towards like a high view of God's sovereignty. And, and almost to the point that it doesn't even matter 
what we do, because God's just so in control that, that he's already got everything taken care of. And, and others lean towards um, kind of a belief that human actions and decisions, that's the ultimate decider of what happens. Uh, and it's almost to like the point where like God's like really trusting in us and God's really hoping we get this right because if we don't get it right, everything's going to be a mess. So anyway, but, but the reality is, is that, is that both are true, is that God is in total control and, and, and we really do, uh, can make real choices, have, a, have a, a will, and we make decisions that have, that affect the outcome. And so, so anyway, rather than that being something we need to try to figure out, it's just a tension and a mystery that I think we need to live with and accept. Because somehow two thing, these two things can be true at the same time. Like God is in total control, and we really do make decisions that have effect on the outcome. And it's not a knot that we need to try to untie. If we try to untie it, we're going to figure out we can't. It's going to be like one of those things you just can't quite get the loop to go through. Uh, it's just a tension and a mystery that we have to accept. And so I think in, this, in our text today, we get a good picture of, of how this looks with the potter and, and the clay. So, so today I want us to spend some time considering the, the picture that God gives us with the potter and the clay. So first I want to consider the potter. All right, look at Jeremiah chapter 18. And we'll look at verses, uh, verse 1 through 4. It says this, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will tell you, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of, of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good for the, to the potter to do. So God sends Jeremiah to observe a potter, working with clay. The clay went bad, and so the potter reworked it into something different. So, so maybe the potter started out, he was going to make a, some kind of vase to put flowers in, but then after things, the, the, the clay kind of responded weird. It was a, the, the clay went bad, and so instead, maybe he, instead of making a vase, he just made it a plate. So he kind of changed. He started with one idea, and he ended with something else. All right, look at verse 5 and 6. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. So it's clear that God is likening himself to a potter and a clay. So the picture we get, God is the potter and the people are the clay. He is the one working towards a specific idea in mind. And so the potter is in total control of the clay. And our God is in total control of people, of nations, and the whole world. So from time to time, uh, I've enjoyed uh, working on puzzles. Um, I don't do it a whole lot. I'm not a weirdo. But uh, like during COVID, we got some puzzles started doing that. For me, I like the 300-piece puzzle. 500, it's going to require too much time. And the 1,000-piece puzzle, those are for lunatics. No one has that much time, Right. So anyway, uh, but when you start a puzzle, it's just pure chaos. Like, you know, there's just, you know, it's just a, a big mess. You know, it all fits together. There's a designer. He cut these puzzles in, into certain pieces. But so, you know, you put it out there. There's a design. It all fits together somehow, even though it looks like pure chaos. The, and so in a similar way, the, the, the final picture has been determined by God. Okay. And, and like life as we know it, human history, like, like from creation to today and from today to the end of the world, it's like one big puzzle. But, but there is a designer, there, there's a design to everything happening. Uh, and, and the final picture has been determined by God. 
But, but, but imagine this. Imagine you have this gigantic puzzle piece, like gigantic. Like I said, what, the reference point we're going is from creation to today, from today to the end of time. And so imagine that being like a puzzle. And so anyway, but imagine if puzzle pieces had, had a mind and a will of their own. And they're, they're moving themselves around on the table. They're making good decisions. They're making bad decisions uh, all on their own. But, but in, in, in all their movements, they, they sometimes think they should be in one place and then they end up in another. Sometimes they get moved and it might even be they get moved against their will, like the, the situation of surrounding them just to be stuck in one place. But eventually all these pieces are going to land where they ought to be according to the puzzle's design. And the, the unfolding of human history, along with your life in particular, is probably a little bit like that. People are making, and you are making, real and consequential decisions. You make decisions in your life, and they matter. They, they change the way your life goes. But in the big picture, in the end, God is in control of the final picture. And, and the scriptures teach us that God does have a design and that everything is moving according to his design. And here's some verses that, that teach that. You don't have to turn here, I'm going to go quick. But in Ephesians 1, verse 11, we read this. In him we have it obtained an inheritance. Here it is. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who, will, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So here we're seeing that God is working all things according to his will, having been predestined. Proverbs 16.33 says this, The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is the Lord. So the lot is like rolling the dice. But it says, technically that's what's happening. Somebody rolls the dice and results happen. But he's saying, but every decision is really from the Lord. And Job, at the end of his life, at the end of his suffering, he said this. So God he said, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So God is in total control. All things are working according to the counsel of his will. Every decision is from the Lord. No purpose of his can be thwarted. Like up till now, you think you've been making these decisions that have led to these, these results. And they have. You can't argue that. But what we're seeing here is this all working according to God's plan. He is the potter and we are the clay. And that can be comforting, right? But it can also be a little bit scary. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul addressed this in Romans chapter 9. You know, he addressed the issue of whether or not this is fair of God holding people accountable for their decisions and what, might, what, what their decisions might bring them, ultimately speaking in an eternal sense. You know, if God is in control, is it fair to punish sinners? Since it would be within his power for them not to be that way. And so this is what Paul wrote in Romans 9, verse 19 to 23. He said this, Paul said, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Basically, God's in total control. Who can find fault? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory? So here's what we're seeing here. Every person that has ever lived or will ever lived will in the end glorify God in one of two ways. They will glorify God in the mercy that he shows them, or they will glorify God 
and the, rash, and the wrath that he unleashes on them. So every person you see today is one of two type of people. A person who has been prepared for mercy or a person who has been prepared for wrath. And that can be enough for some people to become fatalists. You know, K sarasra, whatever will be, will be. So it doesn't even matter what you do. And certainly some people with a high view of God's sovereignty might lean this way towards fatalism. And those people sometimes are called the, the frozen chosen. You've probably heard this before. Or maybe some of you heard the hyper Calvinist. Um, and this view of God's sovereignty as, as a way of undercutting human responsibility and freedom that the Bible clearly teaches. So the scriptures teach that God is both fair and sovereign. He's in total control. And because while God is sovereign, he's in total control, people will still make real choices that do affect the outcomes. So so now let's see what this passage says about our choices. Let's consider the clay for a moment. Look at verse 7 through 8 in Jeremiah 18. Verse 7 says this, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, then I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do it. So here God is saying that if God has decided to destroy a nation, but then that nation turns from its evil, then he will relent from the disaster that he intended to do to it. So if God intends to punish the guilty, but the guilty turn away from their sins, then he will not punish them as he intended to do it. In other words, their actions have real consequences. You know, you guys are mostly uh, familiar, I'm sure, with the story of Jonah. You know, the prophet that got swallowed by the fish and vomited back up. Well, the the story is is famous for, for that reason. But the main idea of that story is Jonah is going to preach to the people of Nineveh. The people of Nineveh are really, really really bad people. And so he's going there to preach to them. And his message is this in in chapter three, it says yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So God sends Jonah to Nineveh to say 40 days from now, you're going to be overthrown. You're going to be taken out as a nation. And so that was his message to them. And that is what God intended to do to them. But the people of Nineveh repented. And this changed things for the people of Nineveh. In Jonah 3.10, it says this, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. So here's the sweet thing about our God, about Jesus. To get right with God, you don't have to fix yourself. You don't have to pray more or go to church more. You just have to see you need fixing You have to see that you are the problem. You need to know that you're a mess. You can't fix yourself and that you need him to fix you. There's a a line in the song we have to sing, Come Ye Sinners, that says this, all the fitness that he requires is to feel your need of him. You know, a lot of times we think about feelings and you might think about feelings sometimes in church or or in relationships or whatever. Feelings are important. They, They matter. Here's one thing that you really need to feel. In order to be right with God, you need to feel this right here. You need to feel your need of Him. Better than feeling inclined to do what is right, you need to feel that inclination in you to not do what is right. Y'all hear what I'm saying? It's more important for you to feel inclined to be in touch with that, that you're inclined to not do right, than it is for you to have that inclination to do right. 
Because you need to be inclined to a Savior that you need, and you don't need to be inclined towards yourself to just be good enough, right? And so you have to come to that point of knowing that you need Him. And then after feeling that you need Him, to see Jesus with outstretched arms, ready to catch you, to hug you, to bring you in, because He is truly the friend of sinners. And isn't it a shame that when we sin, when we mess up, when we do something stupid and embarrassing, that we feel like we need to clean ourselves up first? Instead of going, like in that moment, we're in the perfect spot to run to Jesus because we actually feel like we need him. That's a good moment for you. But instead, we feel like, well, we need to clean up first and then I can go. When you've cleaned yourself, then you don't need to go to Jesus for the cleaning that you need. So, but in here, we see that God can intend to bring disaster on people. But then after they repent, he relents from the disaster that he intended. And so here we see in this passage that even though we have the potter and the clay, and the potter has real control, right? But we see here, even in the clay, the, the clay can do something that will cause God to, to relent. People can make real choices that affect outcomes. Now, now, one thing we need to know, too, is that God works in the opposite direction as well. There can be a people, a person who, who start off well. They, they, they start off following Jesus, but then they turn away, and then God relents of all the good he intended to do them. So let's say somebody grows up in church, basically good kids, uh, but over time, as they get older, they begin to go their own way. And, and rather than following Jesus, they begin to follow their own hearts. Uh, they do what the book of Judges says, which is really bad. This isn't going to sound bad, what I'm about to say. It's really, really bad. When you hear this line in the Bible... You can know things are about to go poorly. But instead of following Jesus, they do this. They do what is right in their own eyes. That's like ominous music in the Bible when people do that. Bad things are about to happen. And then after that, you hear they follow their own hearts. So they slowly but surely turn away from following Jesus. And it will be for those people, uh, as Jeremiah said, it would be for those who do the same thing in verse 9 and 10. So look at verse 9 and 10. We read this in verse 9. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I intended to do it. So there can be a nation, a people, or even a person who God has decided to bless to do good, but they turn from listening to God and following Jesus to follow their own hearts. And in that, God relents from the good that he intended to do them. And I think all of us would sin a lot less if we knew how much good it kept from us. A few weeks ago, we were in Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah 5, 25, there's a sweet little line there. And it says this, it says, your sins have kept good from you. Seven words. It'd be a good one to memorize. It's easy to memorize. You can memorize it while you're sitting here. Your sins have kept good from you. I would not be surprised if there's some here today, started well, grew up going to church, mostly known as, as a good kid, grew up in a Christian home. You know the Bible. You had the Bible taught to you and taught to you well, but you're slipping. You have your reasons. Maybe you can justify that it's just for a season or it's really not that big of a deal. But you need to know that, that you are keeping good from yourself. You will pay a price for it later. 
And whatever price you might end up paying on the back end, you would never think was worth it on the front end. And I hope you will turn away from following your own heart to follow Jesus. And that's what it means to repent. I'm not going to go the way I want to go, but I will go instead the way that Jesus is telling me to go. Trusting that even though I don't want it now, I trust I'll want it later. And and that's what it means to to live by faith. I mean, that's why, you know, a lot of times in in, in Christianity, in the Bible, we read about self-denial. Well, part of self-denial is there's a sense where it's like, okay, this is a thing that I want now. I'm going to withhold it from myself because I think there's something invisible that I can't see on the other end. That's better. I don't get it. I don't see it. It doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to do it anyway. And that's why there's something about where it's almost good for you. It's almost better for you not to know than to just trust the Lord. And I don't know what God has for me. This is all I know. And so I'm going to go with what I know. I'm going to follow Jesus rather than do it myself. And if you don't turn from following your own heart, it's almost as if you're saying a prayer with the life that you're living. So, so here's what I'm saying. So if there's something that you're doing that you know is a sin, you know you shouldn't do it, but you do it anyway because you like it. It feels good. It works out. It makes your life better in some way. You know you shouldn't do it. It's wrong. It's almost like with your life, you're saying this prayer. God, withhold the good that you have intended me. I will be the maker of my own good. I mean, that's the prayer that we pray with our lives when we knowingly sin and don't do what God wants us to do, or, or we do what God, we know God doesn't want us to do. We're saying with our life, God, withhold the good you intended me. I'll take care of my own good. Now let's look at God's appeal to the people of, of Judah. He says this, um, so, so Jeremiah continues to warn uh, these people that they're, they're going to come under God's, God's judgment. And verse 11 says this, Now therefore say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return every one of you uh, from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. So the Lord is shaping disaster against Judah, but he would rather relent of the disaster that he intends. They just need to repent, to turn from their evil ways, to turn from following their own hearts. In Lamentations 3, we read that God does not afflict from the heart. That means he would rather show you mercy than afflict you. Like for, for non-believers, he would rather show them mercy than punish them. He is spring-loaded to show mercy to the humble and to the repentant. And he has to be provoked to, 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 to show his anger and to afflict. So, so here God is, and here Jesus is, spring-loaded, wanting to show grace and mercy to people and to pour out goodness and grace on his people. And how do they respond? Verse 12, but they say, that is in vain. We will follow our own plans and we will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. It's madness. And we do it too. With God spring-loaded to show grace and mercy and to do them good, people continue to reject them. And they say, we will follow our own plans and we will act according to the stubbornness of our own hearts. And y'all, that's our default position and we need God to override it. We do have free will. We make real decisions and choices that matter. But in our free will, we tend to follow the stubbornness of our own hearts. Our God is putting together this puzzle with pieces from the beginning of time till now, from now to the end of time. 
And it usually is not going to make a whole lot of sense to us. That's why we don't need to do whatever's right in our own eyes or to follow our own hearts. But in the end, there is a picture. And we need to know this picture has two parts. Part of the picture shows God's mercy. And the other part of the picture shows God's wrath. And if you want to be a part of the picture, showing God's mercy, not God's wrath, then know that Jesus came in the world to take God's wrath for, for your sin. He took your punishment so that you can know God's mercy. Jesus is the only way you get God's mercy. You don't get it by self-improvement. You come to him repentant, knowing that you're a mess, knowing that you need to be fixed. So turn away from following your own plans. Turn away from following your own heart. Come to Jesus broken and repentant and humble to follow him and find one sin today. Find one sin today that you can repent of. Whether this is your first time coming to Jesus or you've been walking with Jesus from before you can remember, find one sin today you can repent from and have a humble heart towards God because he is spring-loaded to show grace and mercy to the repentant. He is spring-loaded with grace and goodness to give to you. He would rather do you good. You have a real choice to make with real consequences. So I pray we make choices that lead us all to his mercy and his goodness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how, how good it is that we can come to you knowing that you are spring-loaded to show grace and mercy to the humble, to the repentant, uh, to people who feel uh, our need of you. And so would you help us to repent? Would you help us to uh, no longer live according to our own plans or follow our own heart, but to follow you? Would you give us uh, ways today, this week, uh, that we might repent, that we might keep a humble and contrite heart to follow you? And so thank you that we can come to you, uh, not afraid uh, of being punished for our sins, knowing that Jesus took our full punishment. It was finished at the cross, but we can come to you expecting grace and mercy. In Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.